it's good to be uh, together. It's good to be together specifically on Palm Sunday. Thanks for having me. Jordan, thanks for putting your faith in me. I'm pretty sure that will prove to be foolish, but we'll see if that's true. Um, warm-up question this morning. Warm-up question. We, we, we do this uh, most Sundays, so stretch. All right. Warm-up question. How do you stay steady? Like when, when, when you're in a season of peak chaos, when chaos hits hard, what do you do to stay steady? Turn to the person next to you. Talk about that. What do you do? How do you stay steady? Peak chaos. Make sure both people get a chance to share. How do you stay steady? All right, well, let, let's come back together. I, I want to hear, hear a couple. What do you do? Shout some things out. What was that? Pray. Okay. Okay, take a deep breath. Some deep breathing exercises. <laughs> I talk to myself, a little self-talk. All right, it's crazy, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> Sonia says, I talk to my dog. That's the difference between an introvert and an extrovert, maybe. I got to talk to somebody else, even if it's a dog. Anything else? What do you do? How do you stay steady when it gets crazy? Okay. I just focus on the task. I try not to get stuck in my head, but instead I just, okay, I gotta just do this thing, I gotta just put one foot in front of the other, and at some point it'll pass. I'll be good. It's good. <clears throat> so we're in the middle of, we're, we're beginning what's called Passion Week, right? We're, we're here on Palm Sunday, we're marking the day um, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and there was a parade, right? Parade in his honor but we know that it's the last week of Jesus' life, right? That, that though on Sunday he's the hero, by Friday Jesus is being crucified. The entire town has turned against him. All, all of Jerusalem, all the powers, the authorities, everybody has gone from Jesus is awesome to we don't like you, we're going to crucify you. So this is a crazy week in the life of Jesus. It's a crazy week in the life of Jesus' disciples who've also been with Jesus this entire time. Right? And, you know, we, we sometimes call this Passion Week. Um, I think it could just as well be called Chaos Week for Jesus. Right? This is Chaos Week. We get to watch Jesus in the midst of the most chaotic week of his life. What does he do? What is it like for him when things get the most chaotic? On Thursday night, the night before Jesus is going to be killed and he knows that he's about to be killed, we get this snapshot of Jesus in peak chaos. And the picture that we get of him, we're going to look at it in a minute, is Jesus being steady in the midst of chaos. Jesus is steady in the midst of chaos. <clears throat> um, I think we all want that. I think if, if, if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, right, like, uh, I want to be the kind of person who's faithful to the, to the purposes God has put, put into my life 
and when the craziness happens, when, when peak chaos happens, that I can be steady the way Jesus was steady. Do you guys want that? Do you guys want to know how to do that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do you stay steady when everything goes bad? Um, what we're going to do to do that, we're going to look at actually two different passages this morning from Scripture. Uh, first, what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the last moment that he has before he gets arrested and taken off to be executed. So his final moment right, of, of, of freedom, you might say. Right? We're going to look at him being steady. <clears throat> but then after that, what we're going to do is we're actually going to take it a step deeper. And we're going to ask the question... Um, we're going to try to get some insight on what's going on for Jesus. We're actually going to look at a, a, a passage from the Psalms that I think helps us get inside of Jesus' head a little bit. Some insight. What's going on that allows him to stay steady? All right, can we do that? Okay. <clears throat> so first, to paint the picture, we're going to go ahead and look at, and this is in your bulletin. It'll also be up here on the big board. Um, this is the night that's sometimes called, uh, uh, well, it's, it's called the Garden of Gethsemane because that's literally where it's happening. Um, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the place where Jesus ultimately does get arrested. Jesus has just finished his final meal with his disciples, and he knows what's about to happen next. He knows he's about to get arrested, tortured, and crucified. And here's how that goes. Picking up in verse 32, it says, They, uh, Jesus and his 12 disciples, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Um, and then he took Peter, James, and John, like his closest three guys, along with him. And it says, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul, guys, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Watch me. Watch what's about to happen. Don't miss this next thing. Stay here and watch me. Going a little further into the garden, it says he fell to the ground and prayed. He's having this conversation with God. He prayed that if it was possible that this hour, this thing that's about to go down, might pass from him. Jesus is in this tormented place of, I know it's about to turn into torture for me, and if I have to be the most brutally honest, I don't, I don't want this, right? He says, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, right? He says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. And at the same time, he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, totally honest, totally vulnerable with his Father. He's feeling the pain of the moment. He's afraid. And then verse 37, it says, He returned to his disciples, who he had told them, Hey, watch what I do. This is important. And it says, He found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? This is sort of an important moment. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's the temptation that he's saying, I don't want you to fall into? The temptation is, hey guys, we're all on a mission. We're, we all have a purpose in the bigger thing that God's doing. Right? The temptation is that somehow in the midst of chaos, you'd get knocked off track. Right? 
Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation to get knocked off your purpose to bail. Says Jesus once more went away and prayed the same thing. God, take this cup from me. And when he came back, he once again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Oops. And then returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping? Are you still resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man has been delivered into the hands of sinners. And then in a moment of incredible resolve, Jesus says, he sees the people who are about to arrest him. And he says, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I just want to pause on that moment. Jesus sees his inevitable death walking towards him. And his response is, rise, let's go. My betrayer approaches. Like Jesus stares down the barrel of the gun. Do you see this? And he does not flinch. I don't like this moment. I wish it would pass. But I'm in it. Let's go. Do you want that kind of resolve? Like, do you want to be the kind of person who can literally stare down death and say, okay, this sucks, but I'm, I'm all in. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person that when it gets as bad as it can get, I can stand up and keep walking. I can have that kind of steadiness. I want what Jesus has. Do you want what Jesus has here? Yeah. So how does he do it, right? Like, how does he stay steady in chaos? We see him do it, but how? Like, what's happening on the, what what are the gears that are turning inside of Jesus' heart and his mind that let him do this? Um, I think it has everything to do with how Jesus sees his relationship with his father. I think that's the secret. Um... I uh, recently, some of you know this, I recently turned 40, so come on, 40. Thank you for telling me that I don't look 40, I appreciate that, thank you, thank you. Um, I recently turned 40, and um, one, of the, one of the reflections I, I had as I turned 40 over the, you know, this last month or so is like, wow, kind of thinking back over my life, there's a way that 40 makes you a little self-reflective, makes you a little bit like okay, maybe I'm already halfway, I'm halfway done. Um, Hopefully I'm only halfway done, right? But like halfway done. And um, uh, it made me a little reflective, like, wow, I've been in some kind of ministry or some kind of uh, like defined ministry role for for 20 years now. I started, I, I began following Jesus and kind of helping other people follow Jesus right around when I was about 20 years old in college. And so I've been, I've been doing this following Jesus thing, trying, to, trying my best to stay on purpose thing for kind of a while now. And so I, I'd like to think that I have at least a little bit to say about steadiness. Like what, what does it take to get, to get through at least a couple decades, right? And for me, there's a lot of things, but like for me, one of the, the key secrets for me lies in the next passage we're gonna look at this morning in Psalm 50. It's one of the things that I come back to over and over and over, and it gets me through 
those spaces. And I, I have a hunch that there's the same thing that's going on for Jesus. So we're going to look at it, Psalm 50 this morning. One of my favorite, one of my favorite um, passages in the entire Bible. So Psalm 50, Psalm 50, uh, the, the book of Psalms is a book of, uh, it's basically like a worship hymnal or a, a book of maybe prayers, right, from the early, the, the Israelites, right, the, the um, way back, right, people who followed God way back. And in Psalm 50, the question that's being answered is, what, what makes God happy? How do you please God? What makes God happy? And it's... It, this, the psalm is actually God himself speaking to his people, right? And so we're going to jump right into it. So this is God speaking to his people. Hey, here's what makes me happy, okay? So here we go. It starts in verse 7. It says, listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I will testify against you. I've got some correcting to do. You're a little off right now. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta correct you a little bit. Here we go. Um, verse eight. I bring no charges against you uh, concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. <laughs> like the, the 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 sacrificing that you're doing. That's guys. That's that's fine. It's good. You know your burnt offerings. Like that's. I'm not. I'm not mad about that. But, verse 9, you do know right that I have no need of a bull from your stall, right, or, or of goats from your pens. Like, you know that, right, guys? You know I don't need that stuff, right? Um, for for every, every animal of the forest is already mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills, like this stuff that you think you're doing because I need you to do this, the, the sacrificing, the, the, the faithfulness, these kind of small acts of, of faithfulness, you, you know that I don't need that, right? Those cow, I, have a, I have plenty of cows. You don't need to give me more cows. It says, I, I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. Um, and, then, and then the Lord gets really snarky. He says, um, if I were hungry, you think I'd come and ask you? You think, you think that somehow I drink, I eat the, what is it? Uh, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? What's happening for the, for the, the, the Israelites at this time is they're sacrificing because somehow they think God needs that from them. Right? That, that somehow their obedience is the thing that, like, God, God needs that. Or maybe, like, if I just obey, I'll give God this thing that he needs, and then he'll give us what, what we need, what I need. Right? I'll give you a bull, and you water my crops. Right? Somehow that was, the, in their mind, what they thought God was about, that God was needy. And I think sometimes we can get trapped in that, too. Right? Somehow we feel like, oh, well, what God really wants for me to make him happy. Like, God, God wants me to, like, read my Bible every day. Right? Or, like, God, God wants me to, to always show up to church. Or God, God's really happy when I, like, go a whole week without swearing too much. Right? 
or whatever it is, right, or whatever. It is. And, and, and God's like, yeah, 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 that stuff, that stuff, I'm not mad at that stuff. Like, that's, a, that's fine. That's fine. It's good. It's actually good. It's good that you go to church every week. Great. But you do know I don't need that, right? So he's getting at, you're a little bit off on how you understand me. Right? And then he pivots. God pivots into what I think are just the money verses here. He's like, it doesn't work the way you think it does. Let me explain to you how this thing works. So starting in 14, here's how it really works. If you really want to please me, if you really want to make me happy, here's how it's going to go down. Starting in verse 14. Sacrifice, if you're going to sacrifice, sacrifice thanks offerings to God. Be, be grateful for the ways that I'm good to you. Right? And the next he says, Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. And that word honor, uh, in most translations, it's glorify. You will glorify me. Fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Okay, so the, the money verses, right? One, two, three, four. One, fulfill your vows to the Most High. Two, call on me in the day of trouble. Three, I will deliver you. And four, you will glorify me. You will glorify me. This whole thing is about how does God get glorified in my life? How do I help? How does God look good in my life? How does God look good in your life? And it's almost a formula, right, if you want to call it that. The Lord's saying, this is the way to glorify me. This is the way you look good. Do you want to know what my ideal scenario in your life is? Do you want to know how, how, what that looks like? It looks like you getting in a lot of trouble. It looks like you being faithful enough to the things that I've put in, the, what I've, I've spoken to you, Right? You being faithful enough to the, the purposes I've called you to, so faithful, in fact, that you get into all sorts of trouble, that your life ends up in all these chaotic moments because you've been faithful. And then, and then you call on me because you're super stuck, right? You've been so faithful, you get in trouble, and I get to rescue you. That's what brings me glory right? Who looks good in that scenario? Not you. Yeah, you got into trouble, but I got, I get to deliver you. And now God's the hero. I think this is huge. I think it's an amazing truth. Our job is to get in trouble, and God's job is to get us out. Like, God's literally saying here, like, the, the, all, all the, little, all the little faithfulness, all that kind of the showing up week to week, reading your Bible, that stuff's fine. That stuff's fine. But what I'm really in the business of, God's saying, what I'm, what I'm in the business of is rescuing people. I'm in the business of rescuing people. And so if you want me to be glorified in your life, you're going to get in trouble, and then you're going to ask me to rescue you, and I'm going to.
So I want to break it down just a little bit more. Um, right, it starts with fulfill your vows to the Most High. Um, so like, what is it that God wants us to be faithful? For all of us, you know, one of the things we talk about at Blue Water is how, how when God calls us, when God speaks to us, he always calls us to a purpose. Right? He calls us to be about something, about, about investing in people's lives, about helping the kingdom manifest in some way in our world, about being world changers. Right? God calls us to a purpose. And the beginning of this is, yes, start by fulfilling your vows to the Most High. Do your purpose. Live it out. In fact, it's not just fulfill, it's fulfill your vows. Right? There's that important word in there that... that that implies that you've actually made a commitment to something. You've made a vow. Like when God calls us to purpose, he's expecting us to commit to it somehow, to sort of tie ourselves to it somehow, to vow to it. <clears throat> um, for me, I, I, this has just been true for the last maybe 20 years or so of my life. One of the, one of the things that I have found so helpful about leadership or even leadership roles um, it's, not, it's not somehow that like, being in leadership or having leadership roles makes you more valuable or, or it's somehow that you're, you're seen differently by God. None of that. None of that's true. What's great about leadership roles or stepping into commitments of any kind is that you've tied yourself into something. You've locked yourself into something. Right? This is, this is like when, you, when going from, like, I lead a Bible study here and there to... I'm going to lead an Ohana group every week on Tuesday night, right? It's the difference of I'm, I'm kind of locking myself in. People are now depending on me, right? Or, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not just um, from time to time uh, maybe, you know, uh, feed, you know, feed the homeless or, you know, or help the poor, but I'm actually going to commit to uh, showing up at the homeless shelter every Friday night. I'm going to make a vow around it. I'm going to lock myself in somehow. And it says, fulfill your vows to the Most High. And here's what inevitably happens after you make a vow. The very next line. It's like God's already expecting it. It's not if, it's when, right? Fulfill your vows to the Most High, and then, boom, day of trouble. Kingdom commitments inevitably lead to days of trouble, always. When you try to fulfill your vows to the Most High, when you try to stay true to the commitments you've made to the purposes of God in your life, it will always run head first into something. Something. Your commitment will run into something and you'll get stuck. <clears throat> For a long time, I was uh, a campus minister with InterVarsity at some college campuses, and uh, before that, I was a student. Um, as a part of InterVarsity, and you know, and, you know I, I, I began falling in love with Jesus when I was a college student. Um, at some point, I wanted to help other people, uh, you know, and so I kind of took a step of commitment. Okay, I'm going to, I've been in Bible studies, but now I'm going to, I want to lead one. I'm going to lead a Bible study in my dorm room. And so, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited. 
And this story I'm about to tell you played out for me. It also played out for probably tens of other student leaders that I had a chance to lead as a campus staff worker later, right? When it's like a first year leader, I'm going to lead a Bible study for the first time. And so they're going to, every Tuesday night, eight o'clock, I'm going to host a Bible study in my room. And usually weeks one, two, three, it's going well. People are coming. It's a little scary, but that's fine. Right? And there's sort of this, this excited momentum. I'm doing this thing. I'm, I'm kind of taking another step in ministry. And then at around maybe like week, I don't know, week seven, week six, week seven in the semester, what happens around week six or week seven of the semester in college? Midterms. Oh, yeah. I wasn't thinking about midterms when I decided I was going to lead a Bible study. I didn't have that kind of foresight as a sophomore in college. And all of a sudden, it's week seven, I'm leading a Bible study on Tuesday night, and shoot, I have two midterms on Wednesday morning that I have not studied for. Or maybe I thought I studied for them, but then it got closer and I realized I have no idea any of this stuff that's going to be on the midterm, and now it's Tuesday, and for the rest of the night, what I, what I really want to kind of be doing is studying for those midterms. And what my parents just told me on the phone when they heard that I hadn't really studied well is like, you better be studying for those midterms. I'm not paying all this money for you to be in college so that you can show up to your midterms unprepared. But I have people showing up in my dorm room in an hour what am I going to do? You guys feel that? I'm trying to be faithful to being a minister. I've locked myself into this commitment. God told me, invited me to, to, to lead a Bible study, and I said yes, and now I'm in this situation. What do you do? You could cancel the Bible study everyone would totally get it, right? Like, okay, it's a crazy week, we understand. It would certainly relieve the pressure. But what if, what if God actually did call you to lead that Bible study every Tuesday night? What if being faithful is actually saying yes and, and fulfilling that promise no matter what? I'm not prescribing a certain, well, you should definitely do this in that situation. That's not what I'm doing right now. All I'm saying is that right there, that person who was being faithful, that Steve as a sophomore, that other first-time leader, that were trying to be faithful to the purposes of God in their life by committing themselves to something they've never done before, and now all of a sudden they're stuck in this situation that sucks and they can't get out of, that is a day of trouble. And if you commit yourself to the purposes of God in your life, you will run into those. It will happen. In fact, there's a lot of people in here who have done some kind of ministry, committed yourself. And so, how many of you, like, that's true. I know that's true. I've run into days of trouble. It might not have been midterms, but it was something, right? That day comes, and it comes kind of quick. 
Um, a lot of you know that about two years ago, uh, God spoke to me and Larissa and said, like, hey, move from Honolulu out to Kapolei because there's something that I'm doing out there and I want you guys to be a part of helping it start. So, you know, Larissa and I moved out about two years ago to Kapolei and we've started Blue Water, we call it Blue Water Westside, like the Westside Ohana group. It's been super fun living out in West Oahu. And, um, and about six months after that, sensed God saying, oh, Steve, you know, one, one good way for you to connect to people in the neighborhood and for you to really kind of put roots down in the community is going to be for you to get a normal job in the normal world. Like, not just kind of have weird ministry jobs, but like a real normal job that people can look at and be like, yeah, I know what that is. And so I felt like God say, go be a loan officer. Actually, first I thought he was saying, go be a bartender. <laughs> And so I, 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 I applied to a bunch of different bars in the area, and I got flat rejected from every single one of them. I think I'm a pretty good bartender, by the way. We don't have to go further into that, but it's probably all for the best that I'm a loan officer. But I'm now a loan officer. For the past year and a half, I've been helping people get loans to buy houses because I sense God saying, like, hey, do this thing, but also helping start ministry in West Oahu and lead the West Side Ohana group. Both. I'm doing both these things. And usually, a lot of the time it's fine, but a lot of weeks, I'll just tell you, a lot of weeks over the past year and a half, the perfect storm arises, right, where I'm about, I need to lead something that night. I need to have something prepared. But you're, if I'm a loan officer, I'm a part of the real estate world, and the real estate world can, I mean, when you're in the middle of a real estate deal, things can get real sideways really quick. And when a real estate deal starts going bad, people get real anxious, because it's not like it's a small transaction. Right? It's a big deal, and people are freaking out. And so I will regularly have like real estate agents on the phone with me calling five times a day, Steve, I need this. Steve, what about this? And then I'll have the other real estate agent. It's common. I wish it wasn't as common, but it is. And so I'll get caught up in like the, this, the crazy chaos of real estate and have to be like trying to also be prepared to lead people into the presence of God and maybe have my heart in some semblance of a good place as I'm doing it. And it's a day of trouble. I've tried to be faithful to what God's saying and they crash into each other. Do you guys feel that? The promise is fulfill your vows to the Most High Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. And I will deliver you. I hate the day of trouble, right? I hate those days. I hate the days when it feels like everything's gone wrong, I've tried to be faithful, and now I'm in a mess. And I think it's right to hate those days. Those days aren't supposed to be good or fun. I don't think we're supposed to, like, spiritualize them. Well. I'm suffering for the Lord today. No, it just feels like I'm suffering today. Today sucks, right? I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying, but it's hard. But the promise is, and this is everything, the promise is, I will deliver you. This is when God shows himself to be 
the best version of who he is. I, I think it's the thing he, God likes to do the best. I think he gets us out of trouble. I will deliver you. Your job is to get yourself into trouble. My job is to get you out. Um, I want you just to turn to the person next to you and just tell them, like, hey, your job is to get yourself into trouble. God's job is to get you out. I hope you feel a little freed by that. Your job is to get into trouble. If you're afraid of kind of having those moments and you sort of like try to sanitize your life enough and keep it simple enough so that you don't get into trouble, you're doing it wrong. Days of trouble are not a bug, they're a feature. If you're doing the following Jesus thing right, your life is going to be peppered with days of trouble. And it's not because things have gone wrong. It's because that's how God looks the best. When you get into trouble and God gets you out. Um, I have this thing I do that I've sort of picked up over the last um, uh, 10 years or something where I'll, I'll, I'll get into one of these days of trouble and I'll realize... I'll realize in a prayer time, like maybe, again, like just, just a few weeks ago, right? Like I'm having this like totally overwhelmed by real estate and I'm like kind of freaking out. Like how am I going to ever get out of this? And I also have to like prepare a Bible study and my heart's all in kind of a funky place. And I'm just like, God, I don't, what is, this is awful. And I'll have a little moment, a little realization moment of like, Oh my gosh, I'm in this mess right now, not because I'm lame, not only because I'm lame. <laughs> I'm having this moment right now because I've been trying to be faithful. And being trying to be faithful has gotten me into like a mess. And I can't get myself out. And I'll instantly remember, this is a day of trouble. This is Psalm 50 right now. God, right now, I'm invoking Psalm 50. I'm invoking Psalm 50. You said that I would have days of trouble, and you told me that when they happened, you would deliver me. And so I need it right now. And I'll just literally invoke this, this, this passage. And I don't know how. I don't, I don't totally get how it works. But every single time, and this is true for the last, as I was just reflecting, this has been true for 20 years now. I do not understand how God gets me out of the messes I get myself into, but he does. Like, I'm still going. I think for any of us who've been going for any length of time and trying to stay faithful, you know this is true. God gets us out of the messes we get ourselves into. How did Jesus stay steady to the end? How did Gethsemane work? What was happening? Jesus and his disciples, they, they were being faithful to the things that God put on them. The purposes of God, Jesus was living those out, but Jesus knew that his job wasn't to deliver himself. Jesus knew that his job was to be faithful and to walk forward and that it would inevitably land him into days of trouble. And Gethsemane was a day of trouble.
And so what did he do? God, somehow get me out of this. I don't know how you're going to do it. Today sucks. Somehow, God, deliver me. That's Gethsemane. And next week, we're going to be here celebrating Easter when the Father answered that prayer. God delivered Jesus even from death. And he showed himself to be faithful. Um, one of the, the th- things I get to do, which I, I love the most about leading uh, the, the Blue Water Westside group, is I get to s- not just myself pursue purpose, but also other people in the group. I get to sort of be a part of them pursuing purpose too. So this morning I actually in, uh, asked Dara, who is in our, our group, to come up and just share for a few moments about what it has been like for her to pursue purpose and how that has led her through her own days of trouble. So, Derek, come on up and um, let's w- welcome. Good morning, Blue Water Ohana. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Dara Panita. I've been attending Blue Water Mission for about three and a half years now, and I'm a part of Steve's Westside Ohana group that meets on Wednesday. So if you're free, come join us. We are outnumbered by our kids, and it's crazy, and it's fun. So if you're free, come join us. Um, Yeah, so being a part of this community has really inspired me to actively think about my purpose more than I would on a normal basis um, and what God wants me to be about. And I feel right now that my best sense of what God has created me for uh, is to help others realize their worth and that they are enough because they have been created by a God who loves them so much. And so I try to live that out as best as I can every day in my life. And um, recently in this season, I've noticed that God has positioned me to guide and encourage people who are wandering from their faith. So I'm really just trying to press into that. Um, Yeah, so there are many things that derail me from living out my purpose every single day. (laughs) But personally, I realize that there's one thing that continually comes up and tries to knock me off my feet more times than many, and that's believing the lie that I am what I do. And so I'm just gonna share with you an example of how that has recently played out in my life. Um, Yeah, when I was young, I developed my sense of identity based on what I could do and what I could do well, so specifically in academics, and I was always really good in school and doing good, getting good grades and all that stuff. And so I really placed who I was upon that. Um, However, during my college years, I got into a lot of partying and drinking and was in a very unhealthy romantic relationship. And eventually, um, by the time I was just a year away from graduating from college, I ended up dropping out of school. And it was completely embarrassing. It was not like me at all. A lot of people who saw me was like, this person, like straight A's, you're dropping out of school, what's going on? So it was really embarrassing for me. And I blamed my circumstances, but inside I knew that I was completely at fault and I felt like a total failure. Um, 
Yeah, so a few years ago, I was pregnant with my first child, and my husband and I started talking about the possibilities of me returning to school. And so we prayed about it, and we felt like God was opening a door for me. And so I applied, and I got accepted, and I re-enrolled, and I was on this journey with new promise from God that I would get my degree and life would be great. And so that was exciting. Um, yeah, so the dream was sparked again, and I went back to school. I did super well. Um, I made a lot of new friends. My professors were really struck by my dedication and they, complete, um, they constantly commented on my work ethic and how I always strove for excellence in the things that I did. So it was really great. And I even started becoming like a mentoring figure to a couple of the other students who were younger than me um, by opening up just meaningful conversations and asking questions. And I was thinking, yeah, God has me here for a purpose other than going to school because I get to disciple people at the same time. So this is totally where I am, right? And so, yeah, that was great. Um, I had even gotten an offer for an internship after presenting one of my projects in front of a panel of professionals in the field, and they offered me an internship. And that was completely awesome. I felt like I was in my element and everything was happening and my dreams were coming true. And then um, in 2016, I got pregnant with my second, a lot of you know him, Elijah. Um, and I thought, you know what? God has placed me here in college and he allowed me to get pregnant. And so we're going to do this. It's going to be great. I'm going to power through. I'm going to make it happen. And that theory was quickly challenged after I gave birth. I've heard it said many times, when you go from one to two, it is the biggest shocker in your life. And it was. <laughs> um, yeah, so I gave birth in the middle of the semester. I wasn't able to finish um, my schooling, but my professors uh, really believed in me and they gave me a few months extension to finish up my project. And they told me I could do it as long as I focused and got it done. And so, yeah, they let me do that, but still adjusting to a life with two kids and trying to balance it with all the demands of school and all these studio courses and all the presentations and all the projects, it was way too much for me and I didn't want to admit that I couldn't handle it. And so I powered through and I ended up completely dropping the ball. Um, Presentations were set up, I had to call these people and tell them I couldn't make it and that I wasn't going to finish. Um, my professor, who I was working with at the time, basically sent me an email telling me how disappointed she was in me and that she had kind of put herself on the line to give me this extension and it just looked really, really bad and I was totally humiliated again in front of a bunch of people who are relying on me and believing in me. And yeah. There was so much tension in our home because um, I came face to face with the truth that I wanted this dream and this degree so badly that I was sacrificing my family, I was sacrificing my health, I wasn't getting sleep, I was pursuing it so hard that everything else didn't matter. And I had to face it and when I faced it I realized that the only thing that I could do to get myself out of it was to stop going. To school and just refocus and so again one year before graduation I stopped going to school and so at this point I felt like everything in my life like my soul was just crushed um, I remember thinking I am such 
a failure. I went to college twice and I didn't finish twice. What does that say about me? You know, I built my identity on how well I could do in school and I couldn't even finish this thing that I felt like God was asking me to do, right? And yeah, everyone's gonna think I'm such a failure. Everyone's gonna think I'm super lame and that I just can't handle this and that I'm not made for, for success and I'm not gonna have a future because I don't have a degree. So all these lies were just feeding me. And I'm not sure why, but one night I just kind of let everything spill out to God. I asked him things like, how could you let me fail so miserably when so many people were watching and depending on me? Um, it made no sense, God, that you would provide things like finances through scholarships. You would build all these relationships with these teachers and students for me and basically make me feel like I was having a sense of fa favor through it all, only for it to come crashing down in such a humiliating way. I felt betrayed by God because I felt like he was the one who had given me the dream back into my heart again, and then he took it away. And I prayed time and time again that he would just let me go back and redeem myself. You know, that prayer, I promise God, I'm going to keep my priorities in check. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay balanced, God, if you only just let me go back and redeem myself. And after I said everything, I kind of just sat there. And it wasn't like God said anything to me in the moment, but I could feel his presence near to me, even though he didn't say anything. And somehow I knew that in that moment, he was listening to every ugly and raging word that was coming out of my mouth. And he even had given me an image of myself sitting in his lap as he held me while he listened patiently and lovingly, kind of like how I do when my kids get crazy and I just need to let them get their, their things out and they just sit on my lap. So it was kind of like that picture. And so that was really comforting for me and God really showed up, not in the way that I expected. So things didn't change immediately, but as I began to share with others how messed up the situation made me feel and began to seek prayer, I eventually mustered up whatever courage I had, picked myself up, and decided to move forward. And I slowly began to find my way back into purpose. Um, I found myself getting into conversations with many people who felt like they had lost a sense of their connection with God or what He was doing in their lives, and that sparked me to remember, wait, my purpose is to help others realize their worth and that they have been created by a God who loves them. And that started to become my guide again in my life. So God has been teaching me that I am definitely going to get taken out when my life is propelled by anything other than my purpose. And that when I be brutally honest with him and I'm able to have transparency with community and I build life-giving disciplines as a daily rhythm into my life, that those are the vital components that are gonna help me keep moving forward in the face of chaos. So, thank you. Thanks, Dara. Thanks, Dara. <clears throat> What I love about that story is that as Dara was pursuing purpose, um, she had her best sense of what God was 
was leading her to, right? She thought for a while it was like, oh, it, it goes through college, but then all of a sudden that got turned upside down and it led her day of trouble was actually an internal day of trouble, right? Her being faithful got her, collide, it got her colliding into her deepest fears. And God delivered her from that day of trouble, right? Couple takeaways for today. First takeaway, commit to something. God is leading us into purpose. God's leading you into being about loving people, about ministry, about being about something bigger than yourself. And some of us are afraid to commit, to make a, some kind of commitment around that. And so when God leads you to do something, make some kind of commitment around it. I think we already know that when we commit to things, it's going to create conflicts. And so for some of us, the, the reaction is like, well, then I'm just not going to commit to stuff. I'm just going to dabble. I'm going to be like a lifelong dabbler. So first one, don't be a dabbler. Just, just say to the person next to you, don't be a dabbler. So first, make a commitment. It's going to lead to days of trouble. Second, anticipate days of trouble. You have to know they're coming, and you have to know that it's not a bad thing when they happen. They're going to feel bad. It's going to feel like you messed up somehow, and maybe you did mess up a little bit. But when you're in those days of trouble, you have to know that, that you kind of, you got yourself to where you needed to be. Like you got yourself into the day of trouble. That's actually your job, right? Know that that's coming. It's not a sign that you're doing it wrong. And last, um, when you're in the day of trouble, do what Jesus did. Do what Dara did. Be brutally honest with God. God, I'm in a mess help me get out. I'm in a mess right now. I'm invoking Psalm 50. Help me get out, God. Deliver me. It's what God loves to do more than anything else. Deliver you when you're in your day of trouble. He did it for Jesus at Gethsemane. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to end up in our own Gethsemanes. Call on him in the day of trouble, and he will deliver you, and you will glorify him. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us. God, there's some of us right now in the room that we're literally in the middle of our own day of trouble right now. And maybe we didn't even realize that we're in it because we've been trying to be faithful. It just feels like life's hard. But we're realizing this morning, like, oh, I, that's, that's what this is. This is a day of trouble. God, we just collectively say, Res rescue me, deliver me, deliver us from this day of trouble I'm in right now. For those of you in the room that that's true, just say that prayer right now in your heart. God, deliver me. I'm invoking Psalm 50. God, we don't want to be the kinds of people who, 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 who dabble with you, who are afraid to make commitments to the, the purposes that you've put on our life. Help us to be the kind of followers, Jesus, who are able to follow you directly into Gethsemane because we fulfill our vows, even if it means getting into trouble. 
And God, give us the kind of faith that it needs to be honest with you when we got ourselves into something that we can't get out of. Help us to have that kind of honesty, God. To say, oh, I don't know how I got here, but God, you gotta get me out. God, this, this is hard, get me out. God, make us those kinds of people, the kind of people that know that you love that, that you love being there for us in that kind of way. Do that for us, God. I just, I know that as we do that, we're gonna become people of power. So help us to be all in and to experience your deliverance.